Hey guys, if you like listening to us, um, you can follow us on Twitter or email us. Follow us on Twitter at writer, W-R-T-R, bagel, B-A-G-E-L, basket, B-S-K-T, on Twitter, or email us, writersbagelbasket at gmail.com. We want to hear from you. We want to know what you want to do. Submit fan art. Submit a logo. Do anything, because we want to hear from you. And if you have show suggestions, email them. Lee? Lee, you've been in the bathroom for a very long time. Do you need some help? I'm disabled. Uh, it, do you need some help? I'm disabled. You you weren't... Oh my god, you're on the floor. There, there was an accident. Where's your wheelchair? Stolen. I guess we watched the IT crowd, the work outing from season two, episode one. So that means it's in the basket. The writer's bagel basket. Tear me apart, Lisa! Because if you were going to be some lame suburban dad, why couldn't you have been that for me? Correction, Homer. You're the second. That's right, Mr. Peabody! Quiet, you. Pizza, pizza, pizza! Ever banged an entire bachelorette party, baby? It was time now. It was, was all the time I needed. Welcome to Writer's Bagel Basket. I am Scott Kerland. I'm Lee Martin. Uh, Lee, you've been a great co-host for the month. Thank you. Thank you for having me. That's why I'm rewarding you with this episode. Like, For a musical episode, it, it is and it isn't. It just really captures... Like, more of the theatrical and musical theater, like... Right. It, like, very experimental theater sort of stuff. Yeah, so this is the IT crowd, which is one of my favorite series of all time. Oh, yeah, it's a good one. It's like a British Seinfeld. It's... Created it... by uh, Graham Linehan, who also created one of my favorite British sitcoms, uh, Father Ted. And he is married to Peter Serafinovich's uh, sister. Wow. Yes. Trivia. <laughs> and they all hang out with like Simon Pegg and Edgar Wright and Nick Frost. So. <laughs> um, and this show starts Chris O'Dowd and Richard Iowati and Catherine Parkinson. And the series is basically about the people who work in the IT department at a industry that you never know, but it's hinted that they either make robots or artificial intelligence or bombs. <laughs> like, like you, you never know. Um, so this episode is called The Workouting, and why don't you give us a quick rundown, Lee? Okay, so the episode opens. It's another sort of work day at... Uh, Random Industries. Right, with uh, the usual crew. Moss, Moss, Roy. Roy, and... Hi, Jen! Yeah, someone like a friend of Jen's just pops in and like is borrowing a magazine, and it comes out that he has tickets for... Like a theatrical performance that's happening in town. And Moss thinks he is being invited. And this is one of my, like, this is my favorite Mossism. Like, this is my favorite version of Moss throughout the series is Moss in this episode. Because he's so oblivious, he just goes, I'd be delighted. He means me, Moss. He was looking at me. No, he wasn't. I think he was. His eye line. Philip, who are you talking to? Me or Jen? Do you like the theatre? Never been. 
But uh, uh, I've always liked the idea of the theatre. The smell of the grease, the roar of the paint. Like, and you find out that he's never been to the theatre, and he doesn't know what the theatre is. <laughs> it, that, it's, that, it, it's that British humour. Like, this is a very British show. Like, you have to understand. I feel like that character is not just, like, the Britishness of the humor, but also the total sort of social awkwardness of the character as well. Oh, yeah, totally. Like, he's just great. Moss... My two favorite characters are, like, Moss and Richmond. Like, this is an example of a TV series where, like, all three leads are really great, and you don't hate one of them. And in the next episode, in uh, episode two of season two, um, they get the the boss's son joins the cast and he's played by Matt Berry. Oh my god, I love Matt Berry. He his first line when he enters, he enters a funeral. Uh many spoilers, but you had like almost 10 years to see it. So his father dies and he take he takes over and when he enters, he just goes, "Father!" and he just yells <laughs> and he knocks over the casket and like that's this humor and that's what this episode is it's like that very blunt brash humor Bombastic. yeah so um continue where you were anyway um uh moss and what's the other guy's name roy Moss and Roy just sort of, like, for no reason at all, basically just sort of insert themselves into this invitation into the theater. Because Jen, Jen is super horny. Like, yeah. She thinks it's a date, but then it, like, goes completely, it gets completely uprooted when the other two just sort of force themselves into it. She says the name of the episode. She's like, it goes from being a date to being a workouting. <laughs> And the boyfriend, or potential boyfriend, goes along with it, strangely enough. Yeah, and... um, No one should react that way. Because I guess their version of Cosmo is called Heat. And he comes down to borrow a copy of it, but she thinks he was just coming down there to ask her out. And then he comes back, after asking her out, to grab the magazine. And Roy then bases... Like, her entire story arc is based on his... Roy's, like saying this one thing oh he did want the heat he must be gay <laughs> like and she's the, pres- like, the presumption being if he wants to read this uh ladies magazine this xp of glamour or cosmo or something like that then he must be he must be homosexual and then they, they just say so many mean things to jen like uh moss goes maybe he thought you were a man <laughs> You look kind of mannish. <laughs> like, it's just, like, really mean but really funny. Because, like, Jen, you don't feel bad because Jen is not... None of these people are really nice people except yeah. for Moss. Moss is, like... Moss is just kind of naive, I get the impression. He's He's, like, an old lady, and that's why, like, one of the first things they do, like, when they actually get into the musical... Uh, someone says, welcome to the United Queendom, and he goes, oh, they can't say that! And, like, that's just, like, Moss is, like, such an old bitty. He's, like, an old hen. Well, that's jumping, like, really far ahead, because, yeah. like, um... Well, kind of. Yeah. Anyway, like, the three of them go to the theater, and for all intents and purposes, there's just so much more evidence that this potential suitor is a gay man. Because what's the play called? 
the <laughs> when you first told me this, it was the play is called Gay, a gay musical. <laughs> Can't be more subtle than that. <laughs> and uh, the image that they use for like the production art is a gay naked man in a martini glass. <laughs> in a fetal position, too, yep. I think. Yep. And uh, they're reading what it's about. And <laughs> Moss has a great line here. Taking place during the 1980s factory scene, a closeted young gay man finds his voice and he goes, Ugh. It's about the 80s. <laughs> what? Which reminds me, actually, jumping back a bit, when they're first discussing whether this guy is gay, there's a really funny line from Moss. Oh, when yeah. When he walks back in. He's just like, oh, of course he's gay. I know who you're talking about. I know who you're talking about. He's been gay since Wham. (laughs) No, we're talking about Philip. And, like, Roy... (laughs) um, So when they're at the actual theater, Roy... uh, I mean, Roy's journey, if, like, Jen's journey is to deal with with this potential boyfriend material guy being gay... To figure him out. Roy's is having to to deal with being at a gay musical where, like, he says he's comfortable. Uncomfortable. Well, he says he's comfortable in his sexuality. He's just. But he's clearly not uncomfortable in the slightest. Oh yeah, because because then like, throughout it, he has to pretend to be a gay man. <laughs> like, it, it, we'll get there. <laughs> but uh, what's her name? Jen. Uh, when Philip shows up, she's like. Oh, hi, and she's still trying to figure him out, and the guy who got them the free tickets is there. And he's being, like, hugged and tickled by people who he insists are just chums and that sort of stuff. Yeah, the guy who got them the free tickets, who is, like, the PR guy for this this play, and, um, uh, he, this guy is, like, the biggest dick, and Jeremy is his name, and, uh, apologies to any Jeremys who listen to this podcast we don't think you're a dick we just think this guy is and this jeremy is a poor representation of jeremy's let's just say that yeah so uh roy talks and he goes oh you're an irishman like and he just starts insulting roy really bad like really really bad but he thinks he's just joking the whole time like jeremy thinks it's all big just a big joke but he's clearly just completely oblivious to how big of an asshole he's being and that 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 comes back much later yes much later and uh oh we didn't even say the reason why they got roy there roy's there because uh famous uh british actress laura knightley who's played by richard iwati's real wife lydia fox is gonna be in the play i guess they never really say who her character is like they don't really say who any of the characters are I was never clear on what the plot of the thing was. Yeah, because was her character supposed to be, like, the only girl? Or was she supposed to be, like, you know, uh, a sexually confused young man who is, like, you know, supposed to be... Maybe she's, like they've been saying throughout the whole thing, the gal pal. Okay. I I believe that, because when, when they introduce her, she's being, like, carried by two, like, twinks <laughs> who are like just holding her um so yeah um when they actually get into the theater roy this is a problem that i've had with theaters like 
it's clear that Roy doesn't fit in the chairs because he doesn't have enough leg room. Um, I don't know how many people who listen to us know this one Boston theater, but the Wilbur Theater, like, I love going there. It's one of my favorite venues, but the theater seats, like, you cannot move your legs. It's too close together? It's not that they're close together. It's like the the seat in front of you is too close from when you put your seat down. Mm. And, like, your knees are just, like, touching the back of someone else's head. So, like, your, so like your legs are just forced into a constant uniform position, basically. Yeah, almost like a lawn chair. Like, the legs being, like, pushed back a little bit. Like, or, like, flying on a plane or something like that. Yeah, exactly. But even on a plane, like, you still have a little room. Mm. <laughs> um, so the actual musical opens up with... Uh, I guess this musical is like a combination of like, like Rock of Ages, like a, a jukebox musical, but also like Moulin Rouge because the guy, a guy opens up the musical dressed up as like a barrister. Yeah, I mean, I assumed it was some kind of like experimental theater only because there was no, there was nothing resembling a plot there and so many different completely disparate things were happening. Yeah, so he comes out in, like, a cape and, like, a barrister's wig and, get, and says, Welcome to the United Queendom! And that's when Moscow's... And, and he throws it off and he's just wearing, like, lingerie underneath it and a bustier and stuff. And that's when Moss is like, You can't say that! And, like, the songs are so funny. Like, y- you don't really hear them... It's not a traditional musical episode, but the mu- the songs that are in this episode are really funny. Like, uh. Yeah! 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 Kick that It's funny in such a completely over the top way. I mean, like, if you looked at it without any sort of context, you'd probably think it was all, like, really really troublesome or something like that yeah like uh i think my favorite song in in all this is hold my hand that's not my hand um and like i guess the big musical like the the big like dancing queen number is called uh i love willies (laughs) yeah there's there's nothing subtle about it whatsoever Jen's date is like loving every minute, and I—that's yeah, where his, things get weird. Like, I mean, his reactions, even if like his sexuality wasn't up for questioning, like who reacts like the way he was reacting? He was just like breaking out into peals of laughter, and you just don't do that when you're sitting through like a theatrical performance or something yeah. like that. Yeah, especially when it's not like, you know, a comedic section or anything like that. I feel like Moss's reactions were were more appropriate for someone like, I thought it was brilliant. It made me question myself and I loved every minute of it. And right before uh, the act break, right before, you know, intermission, the lights come on and there's an audience participation section. (laughs) Yeah. And and, uh, Moss and Roy get called out basically and this is where one of my favorite lines in this episode uh because the guy's like well hello what do we have here and moss goes hello (laughs) 
And that's he, what I liked about it, because it's an audience participation section, but Moss is just carrying on like he's just having a casual, pleasant conversation. <laughs> yeah, that's what Moss does, because he's like, oh, you two are partners. No, we're not partners. We're just friends. <laughs> and she, he goes, oh, shame, because you've never seen it. Seen what? And this, I love this line, his bum! <laughs> like, <laughs> just the way he says it, like, he's so happy. Like, <laughs> like it's the secret word on Pee-wee's Playhouse. Today's secret word is bum! Like, <laughs> and... Like, that's the big showstopper. Yeah, like, like everyone in the audience was waiting, because everyone loses their goddamn minds. They're like, ha, ha, ha! <laughs> like you like if you were to just see this thing in in real life like as soon as he goes his bum that would be the point the whole audience goes wow <laughs> yeah you would have that one guy who would be like get it bitch <laughs> <laughs> uh. so yeah i mean there are so many parts about that whole episode that were just troublesome but it was just in terms of like you know I mean, there was a very, very sort of, however, very subtle... Like, if you had no context, you might assume it was kind of homophobic, but it was just so over-the-top in the context it was that it was just... Because, like, you're not really laughing so much at, you know, the sheer homosexuality of it all, so much as how uncomfortable <laughs> Roy has gotten most right, of the time. Right, like, like, this isn't a homophobic episode. Uh, it, it's just more of an episode, like... Like this, this ep- this episode came out in like two thousand eight, and this seems very of its time. Like, yeah, that's like, that's the phrase I was looking for. Yeah, this is like, uh, I mean, we've talked in the past on this podcast about like the early two thousands, like two thousand, I would say two thousand two through two thousand eight. Wasn't a very progressive time. It wasn't that it was. Not progressive, but, I like... I mean, compared to, like, other time periods, it was much more progressive. But, you know, definitely compared to now, it wasn't so much. But you have, like, the whole, like, uh, 40-year-old virgin, the whole, like, know how I know you're gay? You like Coldplay. Like, right. Like, that, that's this time period. And, and this episode feels very much of that. And I know for a fact a lot of the writers were, you know, gay men and women. So, <laughs> like, like it, 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 I guess it, it was just, like... So pointing they, out the fact that like theater right. is still considered very right. Flamboyant. I mean they they knew where to come from from like a satiric sort of angle. Yeah, and I don't think that, it's not being done with any malice or forethought. Like it's just it's kind of funny. <laughs> it's like <laughs> it's kind of funny. Like um, how oh, they they took like Moulin Rouge and like. West Side Story and this middle, like, 20-minute, not even 20-minute, like, 10-minute section of this TV show is, like, these songs that are, like, a combination of West Side Story and, like, one of the songs, the, the day the gears that come, <laughs> it sounds like Teddy Bear's Picnic. <laughs> so there's intermission that's happening, and uh, Moss and Roy basically have to use the loo. Yeah. That's British for toilet. <laughs> So, uh, here's my biggest fear when I go to the theater or to, like, musicals. I don't, I, I hate bathroom attendance. Like, what they're doing is you, you earn your money, you deserve it. 
it's not that I hate like these people. I I I don't like being watched when I'm trying to pee. <laughs> like, as as if anyone does. And it it's an incom it's an uncomfortable job, and they address that because there's a toilet attendant, and they they just walk in, and this guy's just staring at them because and he's he's just looks angry. Like, he does not want to be there. Like, he's just like, I can't believe this is my position in life. You're peeing wrong. <laughs> Two hands! And they both, they're both, like, Moss and Roy are both understandably uncomfortable, but they go in and stand at the urinal for a bit, only to immediately leave after having not done the job because that guy was just staring them down like a vulture. Yeah, and they each give him a quid. <laughs> I think, I think uh, Roy gave him a pound. Oh, a pound. Yeah. A pound. Um, Which is probably a very generous tip. And this is where like, you get into the whole crux of the episode, because they both use different bathrooms. Yeah, here's where it all turns into like a big sort of goofy gag-a-minute farce. Yeah, so Roy uses the disabled, and Moss uses... The staff bathroom. So, uh, Roy... I, I guess, have you ever used a toilet where you have to, like, pull down a handle? Um, not to flush the toilet, no. So, he thinks that this is one of the bathrooms where you have to pull down, like, a cord to to flush the toilet, and what he's hitting is the emergency button. Because he's in a handicapped bathroom, right. after all. So... And the whole time, he went into it, like, we didn't mention this, but before he went in to use it, there was, like, a very brief sort of thing where Moss was like, but that's illegal. No, I don't think it is. And then he goes in, and now he's starting to panic because people are trying to get in thinking that there's an actual emergency, but he's wondering if this is actually illegal. So here's the problem with these things. Like, um, if someone pulled that, it wouldn't be the staff. Like, like a police officer and, like, uh, an EMT would, would, would be there right away. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if that's... Yeah, you gotta assume that's the case, like, just worldwide. Well, no, I, I know for a fact, like, like my 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 grandmother, like, had a, a string like oh, that. Oh, okay. And, like, as soon as that's pulled... I mean, there's, there's no reason to assume it'd be done differently in, like, England than in America, necessarily. Yeah, the only difference I saw is that it was, it came from the ceiling, and it was a giant red <laughs> ribbon. <laughs> so, uh... Roy freaks out, and when they ask if he's okay, he just goes, I'm disabled. <laughs> what happened? I'm disabled. <laughs> yeah, they find him just lying on the floor, pretending to be disabled. <laughs> and they actually think he, and they actually think he's disabled, but he's just, I mean, he's, he's just, he just has to go along with this whole ruse. <laughs> His voice is so sheepish. <laughs> Was that like was that like a put on accent or anything like that, or was that just him just so incredibly flustered and like I don't confronted know. by that whole thing? Like I he have was just no like, idea. Oh no! <laughs> I just think it's more like a deer in headlights. <laughs> uh, so that's, yeah, that's a fair assumption. So while that's going on, Jen goes back in with this guy and he's laughing again, and she's still trying to figure out if he's you know gay or not, and then. On Moss's spectrum... Moss does not use a uh, disabled bathroom. He uses the staff bathroom only when he comes out to be chewed out by one of the other staff because he thinks he's abandoned his post. Yeah, he's like, stop slacking off on the job. I'm staff. 
<laughs> so, uh, and he basically tells him to go put his uniform on and get to work. <laughs> and Moss is such a sweet man. Moss is just such a sweetie poo. Uh, of so, course he goes along with it. Yeah, totally. And, uh, so Jen, Jen needs a drink. Let's just put it politely. The, everyone is done. The The musical's over and they're going to the party, which it, it didn't feel like a party. It was just like they were at the bar. Right. Oh, no, wait. Before that happens, um, there's more with, there's like a lot more with Roy that happens before we reach that point. Right. Like, he gets taken out of the bathroom, uh, just sort of, you know, quote-unquote, revived by the staff. And they find him a wheelchair, because he keeps saying that his wheelchair has been stolen. Yeah, and the To pol- keep up the ruse. The police come, and they're like, who did it? They just question him about, <laughs> like, who did it. Red-haired man with a beard and glasses. Obviously, just, like, pulling that out of his ass. And then later in the episode, they just take a red-haired guy with glasses and a beard <laughs> away for questioning. Yeah, that poor Harry Nilsson looking guy. <laughs> and at this point, like, Roy is just looking for any attempt to get away from these people so that he can just, you know, collect himself. So... Because he keeps saying, he's like, oh, you can just leave me. Yeah. Uh, I can take care of myself. And I, like, I came here with some mates, and then a bunch of people in wheelchairs oh, just start coming by. Are. And he goes, oh, here they are, and starts to go with them, but is, like, taken in the wheelchair by one of the EMTs, insisting that he push him himself. And then he gets... He ends up carted away into a van with a bunch of other handicapped people. Well, right, right before he gets on, they're like, hold on, hold on, the cast heard what happened to you, and they wanted to come and meet you, and everyone's like, yay! And, like, my favorite part of that is just that long, awkward portion with the elevator wheelchair... Just like slowly, very slowly, uncomfortably raising up. And he's uncomfortably (laughs) waving to them. Okay, so here's one problem I have with this. These people. So Lee, he he comes with these people. Right. Supposedly. Yeah, they would know that he wasn't there from the beginning. Like. Oh yeah, that's a good point. I hadn't thought of that. Like, like why weren't they like? And who are you? Yeah, I mean, surely there would be someone, if they were all taken in a, if they were all being taken in, like, a van or something, there had to be someone, like, chaperoning, or at least someone driving the van who could, like, keep a tally on that sort of attendance sort of stuff. Right. And so then uh, they bring them back inside, and this is where things get awful. So this is where Jeremy proves what a dick he is because he just goes nuts yeah like jeremy shows up to like he see like he sees uh roy Roy. in the chair and earlier in the episode he saw him without the chair just walking around fine on his own and he assumes roy is just playing a joke yeah he's like lazy irishman and like saying these awful things and like he jumps to the conclusion from there that if roy's playing the joke then all the people in the handicap chair in the wheelchairs are playing jokes as well. And that's a pretty big jump to make. And he pushes a guy out of his chair and the guy falls on the ground and everyone's like, Well, oh, like, why didn't anyone stop him before? <laughs> like, yeah. Screw, screw you, Jeremy. You're a dick. 
Yeah, so um, Jen catches eyes with Roy, and she's like, so when did this happen? And huh, 10 years? <laughs> yeah. Jen's being a pretty good sport just playing along with this whole, yeah. playing along with this ruse. Well, Jen actually cares about Ross and uh, Roy and Moss. Hmm. Um, she, she cares about them very much. And, and the manager's like, oh, he had a rough night. And she goes, what happened? Someone stole my wheelchair. <laughs> oh, no. How long have you been disabled? Ten, Ten years? How did it happen? Acid? <laughs> like, he keeps putting a question mark <laughs> at the end of it. Like, like... This is right. Clearly just getting more and more uncomfortable each time. Huh. Well, what are the odds? Hundred to one. <laughs> At this point, Jen is just sort of like, that's it, I need a drink. And orders a double well, whiskey. Well, she goes, would you like a drink? And he goes, please, <laughs> double whiskey. You like you could do with a drink? Whiskey, please double. Excuse me. Yes, miss. <laughs> Whiskey, please. Double whiskey. And a glass of white wine. Glass of white wine. Thank you. You're very welcome, madam. So she goes to the bar to order a double whiskey, and the bartender is Moss. Yeah. And the look on his face. And he's playing the whole thing off like. Oh, he's so polite. Nothing is wrong. Yeah. Uh, Because, like, the way they interact. um... Like, of course he's been working here. Yeah. Uh, she goes, uh, double whiskey, double whiskey, glass of white wine, white wine, right away, madam. (laughs) And then he just immediately face plants into this big pile of, uh, into this big stack of wine glasses. (laughs) Yeah, it's just But still, like, picks up a wine glass and does, like, a little, you know, fancy hand movement with it as if, like, hey, look what I can do, bartender tricks. (laughs) (laughs) Like he's Tom Cruise from Cocktail. (laughs) And there's broken class everywhere. Yeah. Like, Moss's arc in this episode is, like, my favorite. Like, I, I would have loved to see, like, an entire episode of him just trying to be a first-time bartender. <laughs> so, how many maraschino cherries do I put in a Shirley Temple? <laughs> what goes in this drink? Rum and Coke. Rum and Coke. But how? <laughs> like... So, like the entire episode, yeah. all, uh, all of like the physical comedy that uh, that Moss was doing in this episode reminded me so much of Mr. Bean, in a lot of ways. Uh, I just thought of something. We skipped over one character I love. So if we oh. go, oh right, Richmond. If we go back to the very beginning of the episode when they're on their way to the theater, there's a character on the show named Richmond, and he's played by uh, Noel uh, Fielding. From the Mighty Boosh. From the Mighty Boosh, and uh, he's friends with Richard Iwadi, and they've worked together on great, uh, Garth, Garth Marenghi's Dark Places and stuff like that. And, and he is, uh, for no other ex- for no, for want of any other words, he is goth as fuck. Yeah, he's like a vampire, like, and as as someone who regularly DJs at Goth Industrial Nights, I can say that I have met people like this. And 
he even predicts like don't go like the night is gonna be terrible and one of my favorite things is Moss doesn't like Richmond and they never address it. And the first thing he says is, Oh look, Richmond's still alive. <laughs> and and Richmond is he's just the sweetest guy. Um in one episode this season he dates a girl. Uh they go to a dinner party at Jen's house and he ends up the only one dating one of the three women that Jen tries to set the guys up with and this girl is like, Oh, oh my god. I'm in a relationship. And then like, uh, the episode ends with, they're playing, uh, uh, guided by voices, um, game of pricks. And the music's really loud. And Jen's like, why is this music so loud? And they turn it down and coming from Richmond's office is him having sex with this girl. And she's just, Ooh, Ooh, I'm having an orgasm. Look at me. (laughs) And, and she turns the music back on and like Richmond, like, he he does really well for himself for a man who is a goth. Like, it, I just like that idea using guided by voices to drown out sex, <laughs> specifically game of pricks. It's it's really funny. so there's something so delightful about that. And <laughs> Richmond in this episode, he's like the soothsayer. Like he predicts the future. He's like, he's like, I wouldn't go out if I were you. There were so many signs and. And he was right. He like called everything. If you think about the thing, the things he said, like kind he pre- of he predicts a disastrous night at the theater. Yeah, but but some of the things he says, like in my dream, this happened. This happened. Like I stepped on the Lego and it hurt my foot. So like Roy, not being able to use his legs, <laughs> and like then there was shattered glass everywhere. And Moss shatters all those wine glasses. Like like he predicts everything, and. Ah, it's a shame that they couldn't get him back for season uh, three. Oh, that's uh, too bad. Because he was filming The Mighty Boosh. Uh. And to explain where he went, they're like, he has scurvy. (laughs) What? And then they bring him back for season four. Scurvy? Yeah. Such a left field pick for... You might as well say, like, he has leprosy or something. Do you know what he's doing now? He's on uh, the great the great British Bake Off. He replaced Melon Sue on the great. Oh wow! Yeah, that's pretty nuts. Yeah. Um. So he is, he predicts he, the entire. Is he good on the show? I haven't seen it. Oh. Uh, yeah. Uh, Haley and I won't watch it without Melon Sue and uh, Mary Berry on it. Oh okay. There is a podcast. I will say there is a podcast called Soggy Bottoms <laughs> that that covers the Great British Bake Off. You should listen okay. to it. Um. Anyway, so getting back to the episode. Uh, Laura Knightley, or I should say Mrs. Richard Iowati, Lydia Fox, comes up to him and she goes, hello, you. And he goes, you're from the telly. (laughs) Or he goes, hello, Laura Knightley. (laughs) And she's like, oh, I heard you had a tough night. And he's like, you're from the telly. And she goes, yes, I am. (laughs) Her whole interaction with him, because he has to come back the next night in the wheelchair because she's like i got you two free tickets to come back tomorrow considering you missed the whole second act she just starts crying she's like why are you crying and he's like i don't know <laughs> chris o'dowd is like one of the greatest and he's such a great improviser he's now christopher guest has like made him one of the members of his like of his collective yeah of his like improv all-stars wow so like he's so good fantastic 
And him in this episode, like, everything he does is just so funny. His facial expressions are really good. And I, I think Roy is, like, the best character he's ever played. <laughs> so... So where where does the episode go from there? So from there, uh, Roy is being let back on the thing, and um, he's being carted away with all of the other uh, people in wheelchairs. And this in the guy, wheelchair van. And this guy says to him, he's like, "Well, hello, gorgeous. Where have you been the whole time?" And it was this bald biker guy with a giant push broom mustache. <laughs> Looks so much like Rob Halford from Judas Priest. <laughs> I was just thinking that. <laughs> And uh, and that's where his story ends because uh, the bus driver goes, okay, lovelies, how about a song? It's a long way back to Manchester, and he's like, <gasps> and then they start singing Willies, Willies. Oh, I'm not sure what the joke behind that is. Like, I mean, I just assumed it was just like we're going all the way to Manchester. That's like miles away. But is there like some sort of thing around Manchester? Is it like a like, does it have, like, a big gay population or anything like that? Or? No, it, it, I think it's just, like, it's, like, a four-hour drive. Like, oh, it's a two-hour drive. That's that's kind of what I thought it was. I yeah. wasn't sure if there was just, like, you know, one last gay joke in before the episode reaches the end. No, I don't think so. Hmm. Um, But, oh, another joke that I loved in this episode is that uh, Roy, like, at intermission before they go to the bathroom... Jen's like, oh, I like the music. I think it's good. And he's like, really? Sing one song. Willies, willies. I like willies. And he goes, I love willies. And she goes, what? I love willies. And this one guy goes, sir, please keep your voice down. <laughs> and, the, and that just always made me laugh. Like, just the idea that he got in trouble for no apparent reason. <laughs> so um, there's like one more plot point before the episode finally reaches the end, right? There's... There's two, because there's the, the Marvel credits stinger. There's like the Right. Part. So, Jen is trying to figure out if Philip is gay. And... She's and, been spending, like, the whole episode just drifting back and forth between trying to figure that out. And it's the end of the night, and they're supposed to kiss. And they lean in, and they don't know. And she just goes, oh my god, please tell me. And he's like, tell me what? <laughs> Are you gay? Are you a gay man? And he goes, what? No, I'm not. And he he goes, she's like, oh, thank God. I thought, you know, because you took me to this play. And it's okay if you are. And then... And he just starts explaining all of that away. Just like, what? I can't have... A straight man can't have gay friends or go see a gay theatrical production? A gay uh, straight man can't be tickled by friends? No. (laughs) Well, the tickling part, probably not. Um... And she's like, well, I just thought, you know, because you borrowed my copy of Heat, and goes, oh my god, I've been living a lie! (laughs) And... That's all it took to make him just completely drop the whole, like... Facade. (laughs) That he was so insistently, like, upholding. Yeah, because he borrowed this magazine. (laughs) And he's like, I only only went out on a date with you because I thought you looked kind of like a man. And Moss was right. And then... She just pushes him aside, and Jen has this catchphrase, like, she always, like, every episode when she has to get a quick getaway, she just puts her hand up and goes, Taxi! <laughs> so, like, this is an ongoing Jen thing. out of there. Yeah. So, Moss, uh, 
Moss is cleaning up and, and mopping down the bar as the episode ends. And he's like, good night, Karen. Be good. See you later. Just treating Steve. the staff like he'd been there like for years. Yeah, and it, it's just so, like, Richard Iowati is just so charming. Like, you believe that, that Moss is like this type of person because of his performance. It kind of, like looking back on it. Have you ever seen? You, you had to have seen like the Disney movie, The Emperor's New Groove, right? Mm-hmm. One of my favorites. I just like when you were talking about that. I just immediately flash back to when just out of nowhere, Kronk just has to work in the kitchen in that place. Oh yeah, and he's just like naturally just like starts just doing everything as if yeah, he'd at the been diner there for years at the diner. Yeah. Yeah, Adam and Eve on a bun, <laughs> pin a rose on it. I didn't know it was your birthday. Uh, that is one of, I, I actually, I have a soft spot for um, uh, Atlantis and uh, um, Aladdin, of course, but hmm. uh, I do love Emperor's New Groove. and It's one of my favorites. And Richard Iwati is such an underrated actor. He He's one of the best things about the box trolls. Yeah, the, he, he was really good in box trolls. It's a good thing we're the good guys. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He believes that even though they're doing evil things, that he's still a good guy. You know who was surprisingly good in that? Or maybe not surprisingly, because he had a lot of funny lines. Ben Kingsley? Uh, I was going to say Tracy Morgan. Oh, yeah. He was the little stumpy arch nemesis. That was right before his accident, The little stumpy minion. And, like, right after there's that big (coughs) crash, he just, like, crawls out of it and goes, I've lost a lot of blood. (laughs) But Richard Iowati is just so good in everything he does and moss is like his crowning achievement but there there are there are other roles where he's just like have you seen garth Marenghi's dark dark places uh no i haven't i really should though I've, so it seems like something i would like so it has matt uh it has matthew barry and it has uh uh it has richard iowati is uh noel in that too I think for an episode or two, but, like, there were only six episodes. And, like, the whole premise of it is that it, it's um, based on this guy, Garth Marenghi. Garth Marenghi is, like, an XP of, like, Stephen King or something like that, right? Yeah, so... Or H.P. Lovecraft. Yeah, he, he wrote this novel that he turned into a television movie series. So it's these people acting out this TV series, and then they cut to them talking about their motivation. <laughs> Like almost documentary style and it's the funniest it's <laughs> so good i haven't watched it in like almost three years but it's one of the funniest shows on t- like that was on british television yeah i'll have to look that up and richard richard iowati on it is like a a weird hybrid of moss and like himself so uh i just wish he would do more stuff he's directed a few movies He's directed Submarine and The Double, and he's just... Has he been doing anything lately, or... He works a lot kinda... with Matthew Barry. Ah, um, okay. I think they made it like a rock opera together. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, as the series goes on, it gets insane like this, but this was a good representation of what, like, the theater experience is and, like, going to a musical is, because as much fun as it is to go out to the theater, it is a pain in the ass. Yeah, that's true. It really is. And <clears throat> I would also say, like, uh, I've only seen a couple episodes of the IT crowd, and 
if you had gone into it seeing absolutely no episodes whatsoever... This is the one I would start people on, actually. Yeah, it's a good introduction to the series. Because you you find out all of their idiosyncrasies, and and it represents them really well. Like, Moss is just a very sweet man who wants to make people happy, and Roy always gets caught in these situations. In the final episode, they... So, it went for four seasons, or four series, um, and... Five series, I'm sorry. So, season one through four were shot back-to-back. 2007 and 2008 were series one and two, and then 2009 and 2010 were three and four. And then for three years, because Chris O'Dowd became really famous, they didn't do it, so they did one hour-long special to end it all. And Roy points out, he's like, isn't it a little weird that this keeps happening? Like, weird stuff that should make us look like horrible people, but it always ends up all right. <laughs> like, he points out the fact that they're, it's like, completely in a lampshading the whole thing. Right. <clears throat> and everything about this is just... Delightful. This episode, it's not a perfect dozen. I'm, I'm taking out one, so 12 out of 13, but it's still really funny, and, and it... It makes you realize how ridiculous at times like musicals are. Yeah, I'm also gonna take one one bagel out as well, if only in I, I actually remembered how the rating system works this time. Good. It only took I'm, you a month. I'm taking one bagel out, if only out of recognition that a lot of the uh, a lot of the gay jokes are pretty dated by this point. Yeah. But it, overall it was a really good solid episode. Very funny. I mean, would you say that they're kind of offensive or I mean, if you looked at it the wrong way, they could be seen as offensive. It's all part of the context, and you have to realize just how completely... Like, it's it's so over the top that it's hard to really look at it as, you know, purposefully hateful or anything like that. Yeah, I mean, it feels like they're doing it all in good fun, but, but I mean, you know... And, and like we mentioned, like, the joke about that isn't the gayness of it so much as how uncomfortable it's making uh, Roy this whole time. Well, it's making him uncomfortable because also he has to pose now. Right. <laughs> so that's just more layers of discomfort for him. Right, because he has to pose as a disabled man and as a man who is potentially, you know, closeted. So. Right. Um, would you watch the show again? Oh, absolutely. Like, this show is just great. It's one of my favorite series, and, like, they handle stuff really well. Like, no one's perfect. No one gets off. I mean, on top of that, it's kind of made me want to go back and rewatch Father Ted again, which I also love. Also a Graham Linehan show. I would watch these both, like, back-to-back. I would do, like... This is going to sound weird, but I I binge-watched again. One of my favorite series of all time is Cheers. And mm-hmm. I binge-watched Cheers and Frasier together. So, like, I would watch an episode of Cheers, and then I would watch an episode of Frasier, and I went back and forth like that. Just back and forth? Yeah. Like, like I created my own, like, must-see Thursday night like huh. lineup. How and long did that take? Not as long as you'd think, because I would, I would watch about, you know, maybe two hours. So, probably, like, four episodes in total. Oh. Like, so you weren't trying to, like, binge-watch entire series or anything like that? No, like, n- once a day. Ah, okay. So, yeah. So, we've come to the end of uh, Musical March, and thank you, Lee, for being here. Thank you for having me. Um, my co-host next time, I'm, I'm going to say who it is. It's my wife. Uh, we're we're going to end this month 
Uh, we're doing two episodes this week. And the next one that we're going to be doing to end Musical March is La La Land, which is a film I love and my wife does not. So she believes it belongs in the writer's bagel basket. So we'll find out if it really does belong in the writer's bagel basket. I don't believe it does, but we'll find out. Uh, could I just throw like a quick plug for uh, my podcast really quick? Since I was this is the last... just about to do that. <laughs> okay. Um, I have a podcast that I do monthly with my friend uh, Patrick Berry called Jukebox Zeros, where we take uh, albums from history that have a reputation as being like infamous or like the worst of all time sort of stuff and just re-examine them a little bit. Uh, this month in Munch. Uh, Munch. March. This month in March... Uh, the album we're doing is uh, Why Can't Tori Read, the synth-pop debut of uh, Tori Amos before she went solo. And we're doing this with our friend uh, Phil Fleming, who uh, hosts the show The Dweezil Show on WMFO. And you'll definitely want to check that out, because next month in, uh, in April... Our good friend Scott will be the guest on the episode, and we'll be doing... Uh, I'm very excited about that. We'll be doing the follow-up to Let's Dance by David Bowie, uh, his album Tonight. You rat bastard. <laughs> no, <laughs> no j- just to give you a heads up, I have done my homework on this. I've been listening to it for the last two months when you told me what it was going to be. Oh, I've... wow, that's way more homework than you needed to do. We usually don't listen to it until, like, the month we need to do it. Well, I've just been, like, trying to break down, like, because... It... Talking points? Yeah, cause, well, because it's, like, David Bowie's, like, cover album, <laughs> kind of. In in a sense, yeah. But you need to listen to Jukebox Zeros to hear what I really think about that and yep. what, you know, they think about Tori Kansing. <laughs> or Tory can't Why spell. can't Tory read? Why can't Tory? Eh, whatever. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Tori Amos almost wrecked one kid's life on Everything Sucks. <laughs> if you haven't seen that show, it's now streaming on Netflix. So, uh, yeah, you should be subscribing. If you don't subscribe to this podcast, subscribe to us on Stitcher, uh, Apple Podcasts, where also are yeah, iTunes, uh, Google Play, and uh, a little place called SoundCloud. Or you can go to curlandonfilm.com and under Writer's Bagel Basket, you can listen to all the episodes there. So until next time, I am Scott Curland. And I am Lee saying goodbye forever until the next time. Yeah, you'll probably be back in uh, for Summer Flopbuster. <laughs> all right, so until next time, bye. Bye.